It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, I get it. I used to be the one planning my day around finding a bathroom and living in fear of an accident. I tried the pills and pads, but they just weren't working for me. If you're living like I was, it's time to find an expert physician and ask them about Axonix therapy. It's not another drug. It's an advanced therapy that is proven to provide lasting relief for overactive bladder. Still not sure? You can even try it first to make sure it works for you. You're not alone and you don't have to put up with this anymore. You just have to take the first step towards finding real relief. Visit findrealrelief.com to find a bladder specialist. That's findrealrelief.com. Consult a bladder specialist to find out if Axonix is right for you. Results and experiences may vary. Risks can result from Axonix therapy that may require surgical intervention. Available by prescription only. For more information about safety and potential risks, go to findrealrelief.com. <laughs> This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. Welcome back, Empty Nation, to the show. You are listening and or watching the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Streaming to you live on social media at BillyFMDFF Show. Subscribe to our YouTube channel when you get the chance. Check us out after the show on your favorite pod streaming app. And make sure you're downloading the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Amazon App Store for your Fire TV and Android devices. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. And uh, we're, we're here to recap the Week 15 Sunday action. Tomorrow, we're back on at 10 a.m. in the morning. We'll, we'll stick to what we usually do, Sunday Night Football recap. And we'll have a doubleheader, obviously, Monday Football Night recap to go over along with our waiver wire report for Week 16. Now, something to kind of keep in mind for your waiver wires out there. There's a pretty good chance that the platform you're on, because we had the two Tuesday night games, that your waiver wire might not actually go on until Wednesday. So just kind of keep that in mind. You might have the extra day, which is good. We're not going to cover, obviously, the two Tuesday show, uh, Tuesday games in tomorrow morning show, but just keep in mind that if anything drastic were to happen, if somebody were to get injured, suddenly we need to target on somebody on your waiver wire, we'll help you out on social media at Show. Before we dive into this, we got a comment. This was a brutal week for everyone. This is absolutely a, a terrible week for everyone involved. So you had massive star power injuries. 
massive disappointing performances. And if you're able to escape right now, or if you're right now in position to still have a chance to win your league, I applaud you and have I, we have to give you a big round of applause. Part of it's luck. Part of it's not having guys on COVID. Part of it is having, you know, maybe you were outmatched and the other team just had one of these key players that did not perform at all. And there's a saying in fantasy football, especially when you get to the playoffs, and it's stick with what got you there. Generally speaking, the idea is you, if you have a player who's in the same tier, same realm as somebody else you're debating on whether or not to put in your lineup, you stick with what got you there in the first place. But if you stuck with what got you there, you probably did not walk out winning. And we got some comments coming in here. We'll, uh, I'll, ju- I'll just a couple of them real quick. Comments coming in from Dan. How did you have Harris ranked over Eckler? I, I actually have no problem with that. Eckler, yes, he scored the touchdown. But this is, this is a big example of this weekend. Eckler had a limited snap share. Harris played his normal usage and had no production. One of the biggest duds of the week. The guy who's been a top five running back all throughout the year. And I just and he's one of the few guys who are at the top who didn't get injured. But it's just a big thing of what went on this weekend. Absolutely nuts. And as we try to recap this for the guys who were able to move on to the first round or looking like you're going to be able to move on for the first round, there's only so much to take out of this past Sunday action outside of the injuries, of course. Let's sort of dive into this thing. Let's, let's try to unpack all of this. Let's start off with the Baltimore Ravens and the Green Bay Packers. The Packers holding on, getting a 31-30 victory. But really, I mean, a big round of applause for the Baltimore Ravens. These guys having any chance to win at all at the end of the game. Why John Harbaugh went wanted to go for two, I'll never understand. And just so you guys don't think this is you know hindsight, you know, 2020 vision going on here, it's not. I'm watching this game. There's 42 seconds left on the clock. And I'm watching John Harbaugh decide he wants to go for two. It makes no sense in that situation to go for two. Why doesn't it make sense? Because even if you get the two points, you still have 40 seconds on the clock for Aaron Rodgers to go down and get in the field goal range. If you kick the extra point, you still have 40 seconds for Aaron Rodgers to go down and get into field goal range. Either way, it was going to come down to keep it Aaron Rodgers out of a field goal territory. Why make it easy on them? And that's exactly what John Harbaugh did in that situation. Now, I get it. You got a backup quarterback. Your feeling is try to get that two points, go for the win, stop Green Bay Packers on the last part. I get that. But if you kick the extra points, Packers might not be as aggressive. It's not there right away. And you can get this thing to overtime, which, by the way, your team was building momentum heading into. I just don't get it. And that I'm all about being aggressive. But in that situation, I didn't think it made any sense whatsoever. But I digress. Let's get into the fantasy Minutia of it all. Let's start on the Ravens side of the ball. Where Tyler Huntley, if you picked him up and streamed him for Lamar Jackson, you were very happy with what you've got back in return. Two touchdowns, didn't have any interceptions, goes for 215 yards, picks up two rushing touchdowns and 73 yards on the ground. Pretty much a better Lamar Jackson impression than what Lamar Jackson has been able to do over the past few weeks anyway, finishing as the top 10 quarterback. Now, the word is they expect Lamar Jackson to be back for week 16, and we'll see exactly what's able to happen there. Obviously, you're, you're probably playing Lamar Jackson. If you have him, he's probably going to be a QB 10 in our rankings heading the next week if he's going back, going to be active. But what this does show is that if Lamar does have to miss one more week, you can look at Tyler Huntley to stream again. But more than that, you are fine with the weapons. 
Mark Andrews, obviously, with the big game, 10 catches, 136 yards, two touchdowns on 13 targets. He's been by far Tyler Huntley's favorite targeted guy since he plays. And you don't have to worry about Mark Andrews losing any value at all, switching from Lamar Jackson to Tyler Huntley. But even Marquise Brown, yeah, it wasn't pretty. Yes, he had 43 yards, but he had 14 targets and 10 receptions. More times than not, Marquise Brown is going to break one of those short passes. He's going to get a big gain, yards after catch. I think you're fine. If Marquise Brown's getting you 14 targets and 10 catches, I think you're going to take that volume and still feel comfortable playing him. Now, outside of that, no one else did anything, right? Rashad Bateman by far played the most as far as the second wide receiver goes with no Sammy Watkins out there on the field, but only saw two targets for one reception and five yards. And a game in which Tyler Huntley threw the ball 40 times. Devin DuVernay had three targets, three catches, 13 yards. So pretty much he just compacted this offense around, I'm getting Mark Andrews the ball, I'm getting Marquise Brown the ball, and that was it. A little bit strange considering last week when he had to come in, Rashad Bateman blew up, right? Sammy Watkins went out. Rashad Bateman assumed his role as a second receiver to Marquise Brown. He had over the 100-yard performance. Now, Bateman wasn't in my top 36, but he was somebody who was a high-end wide receiver four that you should have been able to contemplate playing depending upon what your options were because of so many COVID issues popping up the last second, you might need to turn to a Rashad Bateman. So he wound up being a dud here. We have a kind of an inconsistency role as far as what his usage truly is if Tyler Huntley's the starting quarterback because we have one game where he got lit up and another game where he wasn't involved at all even though he played the entire time out there. The point is this, you're sticking with Mark Andrews, you're sticking with Marquise Brown and everything else is you can't trust it. Cancel, especially heading into your second round, your playoffs, your championship game. Hopefully, you're going to have better options. The real big key note here for the Baltimore Ravens is Devonta Freeman. So I don't know why this change it doesn't doesn't have anything to do with the quarterback. Why does this change? Why does Latavius Murray suddenly get one more carry to the Devonta Freeman? Why is the usage, the playing time, so split after Devonta Freeman looked like he had been pulling away over the past few weeks, well ahead of Latavius Murray? Well, the explanation that we got is that Devonta Freeman starts off the game, isn't getting much going on the ground. Latavius Murray this time around comes in, and he was more efficient. He had the seven carries for 48 yards, 6.9 yards a carry. Devonta Freeman was only 3.7 yards per carry, and they kind of went with a hot hand, essentially. Well, now it goes from, okay, Devonta Freeman's pulling away to now they're going to use a hot hand approach. We go back to you can no longer trust anything going on in the Baltimore Raven backfield. That is the unfortunate circumstances that you're surrounded by in this instance. You go to you go to the Green Bay Packers side of things. Aaron Rodgers, he's probably the one top name quarterback who did what he was supposed to do and gave you a QB one performance. He was somebody that you were trusting to give him a QB one performance, and he actually did one of the few on Sunday. Two hundred sixty eight yards, three touchdowns, nothing overly spectacular, but this week. Even if you were just good, you were at the top of the list. Because that's all it took. This was a horrible scoring week for everybody across the board. Devontae Adams, not a big stat line, does get the touchdown, though. So if you lost, it wasn't because of Devontae Adams. Six catches, 44 yards on seven targets. The guy that people wanted, are going to want to bring up is Marquez Valdez-Scantling. And yeah, he'll probably make my waiver wire list due to the fact that we're going to be really scrounging the waiver wire for backup options after this past week with the injuries and the COVID situations that we had. But I still go back to, I don't really trust a second receiver to Green Bay. 
It could be Alan Lazard one week. It could be Marquez Valdez scaling another week. Yes, I believe MVS has more upside overall than an Alan Lazard does. And that just goes back to the fact that he has the speed. He can hit the bigger play. And Lazard has had a case of the butterfingers. He is dropping balls left and right, and not just this past week, but the past couple of weeks now. Having said all that, again, I still don't trust which one is going to be on any given week. There's one argument you made that without Randall Cobb, there's a little bit more target consolidation going on right now outside of Devontae Adams for these guys to get going. I still think at the end of the day, MVS is a wide receiver for boom or bust option that you're only playing if the team that you're playing against, you feel like you're outmatched by and you just got to hit a home run. Otherwise, when we get to the playoffs here, I'm not looking to take guys that are so volatile in what their fantasy production could be. Speaking of volatile, we talk about this Green Bay backfield. So both A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones get into the end zone in this game. But for the first time since week nine, Aaron Jones leads the way in carries. He had 13 carries to A.J. Dillon's seven. He was the more efficient running back on the day. 58 yards to his 22, 4.5 yards compared to 3.1. And as we would expect, he dominated a routes run. However, the catches, the targets, neither running back was really that involved in the passing game. Dylan had one target. Uh, Aaron Jones had two. Of course, he gets the receiving touchdown, though, to go along with it. This is a positive development for Aaron Jones owners that it's not just A.J. Dillon starting to run away with the carries and Aaron Jones getting relegated to a 40 to 45% share of the carries while being the lead receiving back. No, no, no. This is more of a early season Arizona Cardinal Chase Edmonds, James Conner situation where Edmonds not only was the lead receiving back, but he was getting more like 55% of the carries. We're kind of leading the way in carries. Now, Fortunately for Aaron Jones owners, he's not full Chase Edmonds because he does get to have the goal line situation. In fact, the argument can be made he's still better than A.J. Dillon, even though Dillon's a bigger back, in the red zone. He always has been. He's always been great. Yes, they gave Dillon the red zone touchdown in this one, but that had more to do with Aaron Jones been a big play to get him in territory, and then they took him out for a breather and then handed the ball off to A.J. Dillon. He's the one who wound up falling in the end zone. That's something that just happens. But that was more circumstantial than a situation where I have to think that it's going to be a new role for him moving forward. So just kind of kind of keep that in mind as we move along. Let's move into our next matchup, though, because there's not much else to go over there. One of the few games that wasn't a lot of key big injuries, thankfully, coming out of it. Let's go to San Francisco and the Atlanta Falcons. The 49ers taking care of business. One of the few teams that did what they were supposed to do this week, which was dominate the lesser opponent, win 31 to 13. And fantasy-wise, things pretty much stayed the same. George Kittle was, I mean, he didn't blow up for almost 200 yards like he has the past couple of weeks, but six catches, 93 yards on six targets, still was very good. Debo finds a way to get into the end zone yet again. Six carries for 29 yards and that rushing touchdown. A little bit more involved in the passing game than he had been for the past couple of weeks. Four receptions, 60 yards on five targets, which is really interesting because Brandon Ayuk actually played ahead of Debo Samuel as far as snaps and routes run. And that that has been the trend over a month now. But then it comes away with one catch for 36 yards on two targets. Brandon Ayuk, major disappointment because he was somebody we were looking at as a high-end wide receiver three in a good matchup. The usage was there. The process was there. The results, unfortunately, just were not. But on the running back side of things, Jeff Wilson Jr. So there's been a lot of talk that he had 
looked like he was back to his old self, his old pre-injured self. It's what a lot of the beat writers have been speaking about. Elijah Mitchell still dealing with the knee swelling, and he had a good matchup against Atlanta. Now, you knew he's got to score a touchdown or get 100 yards to really be fantasy relevant because you know he's not going to be involved in the passing game. But Devo Samuel wasn't as involved in the passing game. And after Jermichael Hasty fumbled, Jeff Wilson got to do everything. Now, that only resulted in him getting two targets for two catches and nine yards in the passing game, but it's still more than Jermichael Hasty. We'll have to see if that carries on. Because Elijah Mitchell, the word on him, especially since the 49ers have this Thursday night game coming up, there's not a real expectation that Mitchell's going to turn around and come back and play this Thursday night because of the knee issue and the swelling that he is dealing with right now. And don't worry, I'm not trying to bury the lead. Yes, Jeff Wilson, 21 carries, 110 yards, and a touchdown on the ground. Yes, Tennessee's been a tougher matchup, but I'm going to say this right now. He'll probably be on my waiver report because, believe it or not, he's actually still under 50% owned on average. You give me the guy who's going to get all the work in the 49er backfield, that's the guy I want to have. And because Jeff Wilson finally looked explosive this past week, I'm going to have a little bit more confidence in a guy who's getting me 15 carries even though it might be against a tough matchup in Tennessee who looks more like himself. Again, we're going to have to find value this week. You're going to have to play backup running backs. He is the one guy that I think you can do it because I don't expect Elijah Mitchell to come back just yet. I'm still fine with Brian Ayuk. Again, the usage was there, not the production. Debo, obviously. George Kittle, obviously. So it will survive the Brian Ayuk. I'm still going to be okay playing him against Tennessee next week. Jimmy Garoppolo just kind of showing you why you can't really trust him as a, as a streaming option necessarily. Uh, I had him in my streaming territory outside, just outside my top 12. But when the 49ers can just dominate a game by running, his passing volume gets so low. And obviously because he's not a running quarterback, he doesn't have that floor to go with him. So in this game, only throws the ball 23 times, 235 yards, winds up the touchdown. He played a good NFL game, but just not needed from a fantasy perspective. Now, I do think it's going to be a little bit more competitive against the Tennessee Titans on Thursday. So if you're looking for a streaming quarterback, I think there's a, there's a reason to expect that he'll have a higher floor. But I also have to think you're going to find some guys with some higher upside than a Jimmy Garoppolo this particular week, or at least I would hope so anyway. On the Falcons side of things, it was pretty brutal if you played anybody besides Russell Gage. Now, here's what I got to say about Russell Gage. I am not a big fan, and I tend to stay away from him, and I tend to not trust him if I can at all help it. But this is now three games in a row where he has not just been involved, but has dominated the target share. He had 11 targets in this game, walks away with eight catches for 91 yards and a touchdown. It's The floor's there. The floor's been established. So we have to look at him as a top 36 wide receiver. We have to look at him as a mid-level wide receiver three. The Falcons are a team that are consistently trailing, having to come back from behind. Because they're 6-8, and eight, they're still technically a competing team for the playoff race. So they're trying to be aggressive. They're trying to be a competitive, which means that'll only amplify the target share, amplify the production that Russell Gage stands to look at. Tajay Sharp got a little bit banged up in this game. We'll see if it costs him any time or not. But at this point, you have to just expect Russell Gage is going to get seven-plus targets, and you'll take that of a wide receiver right now. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Kyle Pitts, decent performance, comparatively speaking. Four catches, 77 yards on seven targets. He was just inside my top 12. Kyle Pitts is somewhere in that between that 10 and 12 range. He can't find the end zone this year, unfortunately. Because this Falcon offense is so reduced to just a few playmakers, defenses are consistently keying and trying to take Kyle Pitts away or limit him so he's not going over 100 yards. The volume has been there. The usage is there, but the production is not always there. So this is actually one of his better games at four catches, 77 yards. Just not the high ceiling that we were hoping for out of a Kyle Pitts throughout the year. He's in that 10 to 12 tight end range, low end tight end one. Nothing more than that. If you don't have a better option, I think you could seem to play him and you like that he had a decent performance here, but you're just not going to get that top six level production that you're hoping for when you drafted him. And we're talking about another guy who severely disappointed and now it's Cordero Patterson just another guy who's another dud who you've been leaning on to get you to this point all season long 11 carries for 18 yards two receptions for five yards this had more to do with the San Francisco defense being able to play really well Fred Warner back this is a different defense and playing better as of late especially against the run there just wasn't much running room for any of the Falcons running backs. Mike Davis had six carries for 21 yards. Nobody was efficient on the ground in this game. And oddly enough, they didn't really do a good job of getting Cordell Patterson more involved in the passing game. I don't think that would continue. If you have Patterson, he's been too good. If you want, if you do wind up being able to survive and make it your second round, I'm still playing Cordell Patterson. I'm not going to come off of that because of this bad performance. He was still the lead guy. We know what he can do. We know what he's been for this offense. You have to continue to play him, but hopefully he's not a reason why you might have sunk this week. Talk about a low-scoring, dreadful, dreadful fantasy affair. Cincinnati Bengals and the Denver Broncos. 15-10. NFL standpoint from NFL game, it was competitive. It was close. But man, oh man, you were just waiting and hoping somebody would break out and do something. Let's start on the Bengals side of the ball. We'll start with Joe. Well, I guess we'll start with Joe Burrow. 157 yards passing, only 22 passing attempts. He had a touchdown, didn't have an interception this game. That's the good news. This was just a game that was turning into a low scoring affair in Denver. Is one of the things I worried about. Burrow was outside of my top 12 for this reason because I know Denver's defense is much better at home. And frankly, Burrow has not been slinging it all around the field the past two weeks. He's not just letting it fly. That's why you see Jamar Chase suffer in this game. So you see T. Higgins suffer in this game. Chase especially. I mean, one one catch for three yards, odds are pretty good he didn't survive that. But my analysis for him would be the same as it would be for Cordell Patterson. You have to play these guys. They're too talented not to. Same goes with T. Higgins. Only two catches, 23 yards. The one guy we weren't playing is the one guy who wound up breaking out because he had the 56-yarder. Five catches, 96 yards, a touchdown on six targets for Tyler Boyd. But again, 
of those 96 yards, 56 of them coming in on one play. And that's something that Tyler Boyd typically does not give you. He does not give you the big play very often. So you have to throw that out the window as something that you would come to expect heading into next week. Joe Mixon, mediocre stat line, 17 carries, 58 yards, only one catch for two yards on a target, and picks up the ankle sprain. Tried to come back into the game, looked like he got injured again, or at least wasn't healthy enough to give it a full go, unfortunately. And now you're back to the point where, what do you do with Joe Mixon? What's going to happen with Joe Mixon? Right now, the news that we have on him is that it's a zero-week to three-week timeline. Basically, he could be back this week. Zach Taylor's not rolling it out. They are saying it's not a significantly major ankle sprain, meaning he has a chance to play this week depending upon how practice goes. But they also it could be up to three weeks. I think it's all depend on how desperate are the Bengals to stay in this playoff race. And right now, it's really tight. But they are up top, the AFC North, with the Browns' loss. So as a result of that, maybe they decide, you know what, let's make sure Joe Mixon's 100% healthy. Maybe don't push him back this week. Either way, Samaj Perine, spoiler alert, he's going to be on the waiver wire report. Expects him to be the workhorse back if Joe Mixon, in fact, misses. That's the real unfortunate part of this here. If you are a Joe Mixon owner and you don't have Samaj Perine, but you are going to be in the second round of the playoffs, you can't drop him because we don't have a definitive timeline on him. There's a chance maybe you still can pass second round of playoffs and he's back for week 17. So you cannot drop a Joe Mixon right now. Too valuable way how this thing plays out. Maybe there's a chance he's able to come back and play this week anyway. On the Denver Broncos side of things, look, all we care about is the running backs. Uh, I will say this. We are definitely very happy to hear Teddy Bridgewater is doing okay and was out of the hospital but the Broncos have already come out and said they expect Drew Locke to be the starting quarterback. Now, with Drew Locke, and I did I did put this out there on social media, there is some sneaky upside that comes with the Cortland Sutton with Drew Locke back in the lineup. Cortland Sutton's always been his favorite guy. Unlike Teddy Bridgewater, he'll take more shots down the field, you know, for good for better or worse. That's what he wants to do. He wants to go outside, he wants to go deep. That's gonna be the Cortland Sutton role. You even saw in this game, I mean, Jerry Judy was nowhere to be found. He had four targets, zero receptions. Him and Drew Locke, just, they don't find each other. They're not, they're not simpatico. Sutton's the only one who has a chance. Sutton should have had a touchdown this game, had seven targets. That's the most targets he's had in six weeks. That's what we're talking about Carlos with Cortland Sutton. Now, here's what I'm going to say. I am not going to tell you that you should go ahead and play Cortland Sutton as a sneaky play in your flex your second round, your playoffs, your redraft leagues, or even your dynasty leagues, frankly, for that matter. But what I am saying is that DFS-wise, he's somebody who might be on the back burner because no one's going to play him, no one's going to want to play him, and with Locke, there is some upside that comes with him. But there are no pass catchers to care about here. Noah Fan had five catches, 57 yards on six targets, but Alvaro still had four targets, three catches, 58 yards. Tim Patrick's the only one who came away with a touchdown, there's just not enough consolidation, too many weapons, and not good quarterback play to care about their pass catchers. But the running backs, while nobody had a great game, and this is the first time in a while that neither Javante nor Melvin Gordon had big finishes. But you love the numbers. 15 carries apiece for both Javante and Melvin Gordon. Javante being the more 
efficient back, 4.8 yards per carry, Melvin Gordon, 3.5. The passing game, Javante was actually a little bit more involved here, but it only equated into four catches for nine yards. One catch for eight yards for Melvin Gordon. You're still going to play them. The offense is going to revolve around them. They are both RB2s, even though they have to share the workload because that's how this offense functions. And I don't think there's really anything else to cover for that one. Let's dive into this game before we go to a break. Talk about the Houston Texans, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, one of the bets I did get right, because I kept saying, I was like, look, guys, take Houston plus the points. I felt pretty good that Houston would win this game outright too, but I knew for sure it would at least be a close game. Well, it didn't want to be in a close game, but that's because Houston just took care of business. Even without Urban Meyer, shocker, Jacksonville still stinks. Now, it was definitely good to see... Jacksonville without Urban Meyer from a fantasy perspective. Why James Robinson? Ha-ho, hey, James Robinson, welcome back, baby. 18 carries, 75 yards, picks up the touchdown, three catches for 13 yards, but he had six targets. Yes, Carlos Hyde missed this game, but I don't think that really had any relevance on the usage that James Robinson saw. I'm pretty positive he would have worked as the clear-cut bell cow back whether Carlos Hyde was available or not, because that was the game plan going into this game. Daryl Bevel had pretty much made that clear from the get-go. Robinson was going to be a bell cow workhorse guy. They're going to pander to what Trevor Lawrence wants the rest of the way. That is what Trevor Lawrence wants the rest of the way. There's no doubt about that. So, yes, James Robinson, not just this week, but next week as well, and the following week, if you have him on your team, he is going to get right at the right time. One of the few silver lining positive stories to come out of this weekend where it was a guy that, you know, he's been really cold, slumping, but the usage had been there. You had to keep playing him as an RB2. Most likely, you probably didn't have a better option. And now he's in position because of this coaching change to actually hit his stride at the right time. And by the way, from a fantasy perspective, that's all you care about for Jacksonville. This passing game was still inept. I don't care if they're going to hand over the play calling to Brian Schottenheimer like Daryl Bevel said earlier today he was going to do. That's neither here nor there. Brian Schottenheimer is not a good play caller either. That's why he's been fired everywhere he's gone as well. But they are going to try to pander to what Trevor Lawrence at least wants around him or who he wants playing around him. But even in a game like that, it's still equated into nine targets for Laquan Treadwell, seven targets for Lucas Chenault, four targets for Marvin Jones, and nobody really had any production to speak of. None. So all we care about is James Robinson moving forward. On the Houston side of the ball, Brandon Cooks, he's the other bright spot. He's the other guy getting right at the right time. Seven catches, 102 yards on two touchdowns, 10 targets. Houston doing everything it possibly can to make things easy on Davis Mills, and that means moving Brandon Cooks all around the formation like they did Earlier in the season, they had stopped doing it for a while. They stopped doing it when Tyrod Taylor came back in. I don't know why. But they have made a commitment to, we're going to get Brandon Cook's mismatches and tell Davis Mills, that's your number one target, get him the football. And to Davis Mills' credit, that's what he's done. He's gotten Brandon Cook's the football. And that's all you care about. Like Kind of like Jacksonville, you only care about one guy. And that's Brandon Cooks. And he's hitting his stride at the right time. You have to play him next week with the way they've been utilizing him. And you can look at it this way. This was a pro game script game for Houston. And he still saw 10 targets. That should give you a little idea of how they plan on utilizing this offense the rest of the way, no matter what the game script is. So that's got to make you feel good too. 
But here's what I want to do. I want to take a quick break. When we come back on the other side, I still got more games to talk about from the Sunday Week 15 recap. So everybody stay tuned to the MD's Fantasy Football Show, and we'll be back right after this. MD Nation, we want to welcome in a new sponsor of the show called Props Fantasy from PropsFantasy.com. Props Fantasy is a website and app which allows users to import their season-long fantasy teams to challenge other season-long fantasy teams. Their crucial difference is that you can challenge other teams that you are not playing in your league that week or aren't even in your league or not even on the same platform. The idea behind Props Fantasy is to let casual season-long fantasy players use the teams they already have to engage in daily fantasy-type contests for winnings. Users can wager anything from $1 up to $1,000 on a head-to-head challenge. Props Fantasy even harmonizes the scoring. If you are in a PPR league and your opponent is not, Props Fantasy will default to a half-point PPR or you can manually adjust it. They also handle things like standard lineup versus super flex. Their developers are fantasy football diehards and have thought of everything, including IDP. So if you think your season-long team is not just the best in your league, but the best in all leagues, this is your chance to find out and win money when you sign up for the Props Fantasy app today at PropsFantasy.com. So join in on the fun. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. And welcome back, MD Nation, to the show. You are listening and or watching the MD's Fantasy Football Show, streaming to you live on social media at Show. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Check us out after the show on your favorite pod streaming app and download the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Amazon App Store for your Fire TV and or Android devices. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. We are going over the Week 15 Sunday recap, or <laughs> frankly, lack thereof. There was just not a lot of good news. There just wasn't. Between injuries and duds, so many big-name players that you depend upon to get you to this position in the first place just did not pan out. Just didn't. It's a real shame. COVID-19 struck. It just felt like it screwed up everybody's game plan. (laughs) I have no other explanation for it. Let's go to the Dolphins and the New York Jets. This this was one game affected by COVID and was wonky. So Jalen Waddle wasn't able to play this game. We recommended playing Devontae Parker. Now, he did come through. Eight targets, four catches, 68 yards. He tacks on the touchdown. So he was fine. But Mike Kosicki was also supposed to be a strong play, and he was eh, eight targets, five catches, 43 yards. The usage was at least there because nobody else on the Dolphins had more than three targets outside of Mike Kosicki and Devontae Parker. A little bit surprising that their top guys only had eight targets considering this was a 31-24 to game, a higher-scoring game than what we would have expected. But a pass-first team, or what's been a pass-first team, only threw the ball 27 times this week. And to attack Laveau, who had actually been pretty efficient and pretty accurate the past month now, well, he was only 16 of 27. So this was an unexpected downward turn against a New York Jets defense for this Dolphins passing attack. But why? what was the major reason for that? Oh, yeah, it was the, of course, predictability that Duke Johnson, of all people, was going to have 22 carries for 170 yards and two touchdowns. Yeah, 
raise your hand if you projected Duke Johnson to be the lead man of the backfield. Raise your hand if you were going to. Because it was nobody. It was nobody. Nobody thought Duke Johnson would come out here and just take over the job. Now, I get Miles Gaskin was coming back off of COVID. There can be a question as what a guy's conditioning is when he's coming back from actually having COVID-19. But no one thought Duke Johnson was just going to come in here and dominate. Miles Gaskin had 10 carries, 54 yards. It's not like he wasn't efficient with his touches. He was. But Johnson got so hot, they just kept feeding the ball. And he looked better than... I think he's looked since college or really anytime he's been in the NFL. That's for sure. Does that continue? <laughs> Who knows? That's, that's the major problem that comes out of this. We know the Dolphins have been desperate to find a running back that they could, they feel like they can go to because for whatever reason, they haven't felt like that's miles Gaskin on a consistent basis this season. They signed Duke Johnson, to the practice squad right after this or signed him to the active roster from the practice squad right after this performance. An argument can be made that he played himself into a role the rest of the way. They're seven and seven. This is a team that's trying to make the playoffs and is a good position for a wild card spot. They're looking for somebody to ride the rest of the season. This is not a just fling fly fly. This is something we have to pay attention to. And it's going to make projecting the usage between a Miles Gaskin and Duke Johnson next week very difficult. Where at the very least, we may have to expect some sort of 50 50 committee. It's absolutely ridiculous. Dan said, I did. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You and me and we are uh, rich from Vegas too while we're at it, Dan. <laughs> On the Jets side of things, Michael Carter comes back. People are really excited about it. Michael Carter, he was somebody who was trending in the direction of being a real legitimate RB2 before he went out. The question was going to be, would he get a full workload? We were led to believe he was supposed to beat reporters, Robert Salah coming on saying, yeah, Michael Carter's 100% healthy. He's not going to be on any kind of limitation his first game back. What happened? Tevin Coleman gets just as many carries as Michael Carter does and actually looked like the better running back too, by the way, because he had eight carries for 50 while Michael Carter had eight carries for 18. To top it all off, he wasn't involved in the passing game. Only two targets. That was rough. That was rough. Because there were definitely people who found themselves in position, especially some of the COVID-19 inactives later in the week, who needed to lean on a Michael Carter. At least as an RB3, if not a flex play. I do think this thing will trend back towards Carter heading into next week. But what this game showed you is that you can't expect him to have the full usage that he did before he got injured. Because apparently, as long as Tevin Coleman's healthy, they're willing to use him as a... 1A, 1B to Michael Carter. Now, again, I expect Michael Carter's usage to go further next next week. I expect him to work well ahead of Tevin Coleman. He's the future of this offense. He's the guy they want to get going. But I don't know how much you could trust him outside of being maybe a top 36 running back and a desperate flex option heading into next week's matchup. No, I don't want to play any other New York Jets. I know James Crowder had eight targets in this game. Five catches for 40 yards. There's no reason to trust a pass catcher of the Jets at all. At all. Dan, I totally agree with you. Yes, they have no confidence in Miles Gaskin. That's been very evident the entire year. Let's move on. Let's start with another matchup that was a bit head-scratching at times. 
but ultimately the team did what they were supposed to do. Well, we had a few surprises from a fantasy standpoint. We're talking about the Buffalo Bills and the Carolina Panthers. So the Bills win 31-14. They do what they're supposed to do at home with a declining Carolina team. But here's what the surprises were. Devin Singletary, 22 carries, 86 yards, and a touchdown. Everyone's going to ask themselves, is this sustainable? Has Devin Singletary taken over as the lead back? I think it's a two-part question, or two-part answer, I should say. On one side, yeah. I do think Devin Singletary is the lead back of this backfield, and if you were going to play a Buffalo Bills running back, it would be Devin Singletary. However, Zach Moss was inactive in this game. Matt Breida continues to not impress, given the extra opportunity that he's had. I wouldn't be surprised if Zach Moss comes back. He's active next week, and this thing goes to Devin Singletary getting like 12 carries to Zach Moss's eight. There's still a team that wants to be past first team most of the time. And they didn't have to be in this one. They got up big on Carolina early. Never really had to look back. Carolina's offense is so inept at the moment that there's they were never a threat. They didn't have a kicker. They lost to Gonzalez in, in pregame warmups, which really kind of screwed them because then they had, to, they had to go for it every time. They would have been in field goal range. They couldn't settle for anything. They had to go for it on two when they did score touchdowns. It really put them in a bad position for the game, but th- I mean, that's not the reason they got blown out. Their offense was never a threat in this matchup. So I think this is more of an aberration that you're seeing out of Devin Singletary rather than something that could actually be a trend moving forward. Josh Allen, though, not a big yardage output, obviously, but he gets you the three touchdowns, and that was enough to be a QB1 for the week. Not overall, obviously, but in the top 10. And that was without him rushing much, 24 yards. But I'll say this, 24 yards isn't a big deal, but for Josh Allen coming off this foot injury, it kind of is because it shows you he's still willing and can be mobile if he needs to be. Not that you're going to bench Josh Allen in these next two weeks anyway, but at least it gives you some confidence that he can still get you the performance that you need out of him. Right now, that might be more confidence than most people have in their quarterbacks at the moment. (laughs) The wide receivers, Gabriel Davis, five catches, 85 yards, two touchdowns in this game, seven targets, Filling in nicely for the Emmanuel Sanders role. He was on a waiver wire report last week. Spoiler alert, he'll probably be on a waiver wire report again this week because not a lot of people picked up Gabriel Davis. I don't know why, but not a lot of people believed. He's got big play capability. I think he's just as capable as Emmanuel Sanders is at running routes at this point, comparatively speaking to where Davis is at in his career and where Emmanuel Sanders is at in his career. They've shown that they need somebody else besides Stephon Diggs to be able to step up on a consistent basis. That person usually has been Dawson Knox, but Dawson Knox wasn't really able to get that involved in this game. Remember, Carolina's been very good against tight ends. But he was able to step up in the situation. It wasn't Cole Beasley. Although Cole Beasley did have eight targets, four catches, and 35 yards in this game. Davis is going to have the touchdown upside, the big play upside to go along with Stephon Diggs for the next couple of weeks. At the very worst, he's a... Borderline wide receiver three, wide receiver four, who has touchdown and big play potential. So definitely something to kind of keep your eyes out on. Stephon Diggs wasn't great. He does get the touchdown. He's able to salvage his fantasy day at least. Four catches, 35 yards with that score. Seven targets in this game. 
he hasn't been the elite wide receiver one you wanted to be all season long anyway, but you still have to play him. And thankfully, he was able to salvage his day in this one. You could continue to play Buffalo Bills players. I know they have the New England Patriots next week in New England. Outside of keeping our eyes on the weather of that matchup, I don't think it's going to go exactly the same way it did before. Okay. Now, maybe it's blizzard conditions. Maybe it would. And it's always possible in New England. But as long as it's not snowy and windy and everything else on top of it and wet, I do think you're still going to be able to play the Buffalo Bills that you would normally be playing. Allen, Dawson, Knox, Stephon Diggs, and now Gabriel Davis against New England Patriots, even though we just have that that sour taste in our mouths from that very low scoring affair a couple of weeks ago. You're not going to come off of that in your playoffs. And if anything, the Colts just showed you that, hey, if the Bills decide they do want to commit to the running game, it, you might be able to work it out. But we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit from now. On the Carolina side, I mean, we have to note that Cam Newton ran for 71 yards and a rushing touchdown, and then he continues to get a rushing touchdown every time he starts, which gives him an abnormal floor than other streaming quarterbacks out there. 156 yards of the air, one touchdown, one interception. The quarterback position for this team is still reportedly up for debate depending upon the health of a Sam Darnold. But he hasn't been cleared for contact yet. So I don't know if that's definitely going to happen anytime soon either. In the meantime, though, Chuba Hubbard, A carries 40 yards. The problem Hubbard is running into is that he's not allowed to be involved in the passing game because that's all Amir Abdullah. You have Cam, who's stealing a lot of what his work would have been otherwise, along with touchdowns. And you need a touchdown for Chuba Hubbard to be fantasy relevant. I talked about this all last week. He's a touchdown-dependent RB3. That continues to be true. And in a game like this, where it was largely negative game script, Amir Abdullah had more snaps played than a Chuba Hubbard did. It all depends on what you have available to you. But I'm going to go out on a limb and say you're probably going to need more upside than what a Chuba Hubbard can possibly give you in your playoff matchups, most likely. So I'm not touching anybody on this team. I don't want to touch Amir Abdullah either. Yes, he had the four catches, 48 yards. Yes, he got the receiving touchdown. But Cam Newton doesn't check the ball down a ton to the running back. At least not the past few weeks. This is the most he's done it since he became a Carolina Panther. And that includes games with Christian McCaffrey. There's nothing to trust. DJ Moore, the usage is there. The production, unfortunately, hinges on can he break one. It's the yards after catch. That's what he needs to have happen. But if that doesn't happen, then he gets stat lines like this. We get six catches for 48 yards on 11 targets. The usage is there, but he has to break one. That's the unfortunate part. And uh, answer your question, we got, yes, Dan, we already talked about the 49ers-Falcons game earlier in the show. Let's keep this thing moving. Let's talk about Pittsburgh Steelers, Tennessee Titans. Another game severely disappointing from a fantasy standpoint all the way around. We'll start with the Steelers side. So they come away with the win, 19-13. This was, kind of, this, this was very similar to the Bengals-Denver game where it was just a defensive battle and no offense really to be had. And it was just a couple of scores, and that's all it really took. You got to give Steelers credit. Their defense has not been playing well, and they found a way to play decent in this game. 
But Najee Harris, mentioned him a little bit earlier in the show, been a top five running back all year, 12 carries for 18 yards, a yard and a half per carry. The big thing was he only had the five targets for two catches and eight yards. So he didn't get the normal, I'll save you volume-wise, fantasy receiving floor that he normally provides on top of it. Yes, there's a real chance you're not moving on to the next round because of Nanaji Harris in this game. If by some miracle you did, or you can, you still would have to play Najee Harris as an RB1 next week. It's one of those things that happened at the wrong time, most likely, for your fantasy playoffs. But his usage didn't go away. His, his, his snap percentage and all that they didn't go away. The Steelers just didn't have the ball very often. And again, Rosberg only threw the ball 25 times, which that then led to Deontay Johnson not having a great performance either. Now, he's efficient. Five targets, five catches but only 38 yards, and he didn't find the end zone. Nobody found the end zone. Ben Roethlisberger snuck one in. That was the only offensive Pittsburgh touchdown in this game. You would still play Deontay. You'd still play Najee Harris. You'd still play Pat Freermuth, most likely, if he's able to come back from his concussion, although that was a pretty brutal one. So we'll see if he's able to clear a concussion protocol. Remember, if you guys practice by Thursday, he's got a shot. We'll keep you up to date on social media throughout the week at Show. The only guy I'm probably not going to play would be Chase Claypool. And I, I brought this up before because Chris, Chrissy came on the show. He actually liked Chase Claypool in DFS. And I wasn't on board with that because the usage isn't there. He is playing firmly behind James Washington and Deontay Johnson when it comes to actual routes, runs, and snaps. And that actually continued to decrease in this game. And He only walks away with two targets. He had one carry. But that was it. Now, yes, the offense in a whole wasn't very productive, obviously. But you can't have a guy who you know the big play's not there because of Ben Roethlisberger and a part-time player. Whether it's due to his toe injury or the mistakes he made at the end of the game last week, whatever the case may be, there's no way you could trust a Chase Claypool heading into Week 16. On Tennessee side, Julio Jones pulls his hamstring again. I mean, outside of maybe making a return for the NFL playoffs, he's got to be done for the rest of the regular season, minimum. I'd be surprised if it was just that. I'd be surprised if it was just that. A.J. Brown does come back possibly this week. He was designated to return from IR today, which means he can be activated for the Thursday game against San Francisco 49ers. They need him. They need him. They need playmakers, and they're losing games. Losing games they should have won like this one. The backfield continues to be split as far as who that second back is or that second producer is behind Dante Foreman. Last week, Jerry McNichols played a little bit ahead of Dontre Hillard. This week, Dontre Hillard played a little bit ahead of Jerry McNichols, but both were so were too involved to really know who's over the other. The only guy whose role you could trust right now is Dante Foreman. He is the lead ball carrier. 22 carries, 108 yards. He actually attacked on two catch for 27 yards, something he hasn't been very involved in since coming to the team on top of it. So here's the issue, though. When you go to San Francisco, and we'll talk about more of this on the Wednesday night game, or the Wednesday night preview show, I should say, where uh, we're going to be previewing all of the games, by the way. 
So yeah, just to mention that real quick, it is Christmas week, obviously. So we're having a little bit of adjustments to the show schedule towards the end of the week. Wednesday, which would normally just be our, our Thursday night preview and our early slate week window of games. That's actually going to be a full on week 16 preview. So that way Thursday night, we can come back with the MD's DFS contest and lock bets of the week before we head into the Christmas weekend. The same schedule will be in place next week for New Year's. So it'll be the same thing. We'll do a full week 17 preview, MD's DFS and lock bets of the week on Thursday night and then head into the weekend. Now, we'll still be active on social media trying to get you guys player news notifications. And if you have questions, DM us. We're going to help you out on the way to championships. But there's, we will not be having any shows on Friday night like we normally would. We'll be consolidating the weeks so I can enjoy the holiday weekend with my family like everybody else. But I digress. They're playing against San Francisco 49ers this week. I don't know how much you're going to trust Adonta Foreman, a team that's been doing really well against a run because that's where all of his... His usage comes from, but he does have the touchdown upside because that's he's always going to have that goal line work too. So he's a little bit better than your typical touchdown dependent RB3 because he's getting, you know, 18, 20 carries because this team is still, their identity is still built in the physical running game. It's still what this offense ultimately is built off of at the end of the day. So his volume, touchdown capability, it keeps him more of a high end RB3 even low in RB2, and I'd be hard-pressed to find a better flex option than Adopt Foreman, at least as far as what his volume, what his usage has been, and the fact that he has been producing and running really well as of late, too. Doesn't hurt. If AJ, if AJ Brown comes back this week, there, I would have to say you're probably playing AJ Brown. That's all I really care about from Tennessee. I mean, Tannehill's been awful. He's been awful. That doesn't help that he hasn't had anybody to throw to consistently. But even when A.J. Brown comes back, it's still only one guy. We've seen Tannehill really not be that great, even with A.J. Brown in the lineup and healthy. So let's dive into the Dallas Cowboys, the New York Giants. 21-6, very boring game across the board. Incredibly boring game. But I want to start start on the Giants side because I want to talk about Mike Glennon and Jake Fromm. Now, I know Jake Fromm ultimately only went 50% completion percentage. And I do want to address a question real quick. We're getting here. Uh, Parker or DK this upcoming weekend? Uh, definitely DK. Uh, Devontae Parker is going to be up on the Saints. He'll probably get the Marshawn Lattimore matchup. You're definitely going to play DK Metcalf. Getting back to the Giants here. It looked like the offense at least had a bit of a spark when Jake Fromm came in. And he just looked like he throws a better ball than what Mike Glennon does right now. Now, obviously, with Jake Fromm in there, there's not a huge difference between him and Mike Lennon as far as what kind of output you can expect out of the offense in general. But there are certain things you can key in on. He comes into the game. Kenny Galladay, his target share actually went way up compared to what it was with Mike Lennon. And also the check down. You might like Saquon Barkley a bit more if Jake Fromm's a starting quarterback because he'll check the ball down more. He'll do the Mike White thing. He'll just take what's available to him. Glennon still likes to try to fit the ball in the tight spaces for no reason, even though he's a scrub. Fromm is still young, and he just wants to try to take what's there and just look decent and look like he can stay in this league. So I expect him to kind of do that Mike White thing. Now, will we be as productive as a Mike White? Probably not. But what you could key in on is that the running backs will be heavily involved in the passing game. Saquon Barkley had eight targets in this game, and a lot of which came when Jake Fromm came into the game. So I think you might actually like it better, say Barkley it is, with a from 
maybe even a Kenny Galladay more with a from than you would with a Mike Glennon. Now, I don't see a scenario in which you can really trust Kenny Galladay in your playoff matchups. He hasn't been productive all season long. But in Barkley's case, especially with this 60-40 split that he seems to be in with Devontae Booker, you need all the targets you can get for a receiving floor. They had the four catch for 24 yards on those eight targets in this game, 15 carries, ultimately 19 touches. You'll take that for Barkley. And that's what keeps him in RB2. He's still getting the volume. It's not great. I don't disagree, but he's still getting the volume. 50, 50 yards on those 15 carries. Booker was good. I mean, he was. Eight carries, 74 yards. He was actually pretty efficient. Only two targets, though, compared to Saquon Barkley's eight. Two catches, eight yards. He's being involved at an annoying enough pace where Saquon's maybe not guaranteed to see 20 touches. But again, this is where it goes to, I kind of want from the start for Saquon Barkley perspective because I know who could check the ball down a hell of a lot to, even if he has to split some work with Devontae Booker. And now with Sterling Shepard getting hurt in this game, he getting an Achilles injury, he's going to be knocked out. Kadarius Tony not really expected back anytime soon. That short area part of the field, I mean, you're reduced to a Kenny Galladay, an Evan Ingram, a Darius Slayton. All those guys kind of operate down the field. So the running backs are what will be the short passing game. Maybe it winds up, maybe I'm a little too more excited than, than it will wind up being, but anything could be better than what Mike Lynn has been giving us the past few weeks. On the Dallas side, this one I feel really bad about. I feel really, really bad that I had Dak Prescott running so high and that I was so confident that the Cowboys we're going to try to do everything in their power to get Dak out of his slump in this game and that he would be able to do it because it was against the New York Giants. There was a lot of people I told to play Dak over, you know, Dak over this player, Dak over that player. Some of it worked out. I got asked a lot of like Dak over Taysom Hill. Do we do it? And I said, yes. And that actually still worked out. Okay. Cause Taysom Hill didn't do anything <laughs> Sunday night game. We'll talk about that tomorrow's show. But still 217 yards and a touchdown. He had 37 pass attempts. It was a pass-first effort, which is what I was I was leaning towards it being in this game, which is what I was going for. But hands off to the Giants' defense. They played well. They kept things in front of them. They kept them from being able to get the big play. Dalton Schultz, of course, yeah, because that's totally what we figured after seeing what his usage had been since all three receivers of the Dallas Cowboys have been back and playing. He goes eight catches for 67 yards, a touchdown, eight targets. Look, He's still a streaming tight end. He's still going to be in my top 16, but not necessarily inside of my top 12. I think we can all agree it's just as likely the receivers, like Amari Cooper, who only had five targets in this game, or Michael Gallup, who only had five targets in this game, could be much more involved next week. And that takes away from Dalton Schultz's availability. It was just what the defense was giving them. It was giving the middle of the field. CeeDee Lamb had nine targets in this game. They were just giving them the middle of the field and taking away the big plays on the outside. All Dallas Cowboy receivers were, were disappointed. I mean, CeeDee Lamb was the best of them. Six catches, 50 yards. Not really what you're looking for against a Giants team who's got nobody to protect the slot in your first round of your playoffs. Definitely disappointing. This offense is better than what they are playing. But the thing we have to go back to is that maybe it doesn't matter what defense they're playing. If Tyrone Smith is out, it seems to be a mental block in Dak's head. 
That's what that's what, I feel like that's what we saw today. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back on the other side, we got two more games that I want to recap. And then we'll end the show there. So everybody stay tuned to the MD's fantasy football show. We'll be back with you right after this. It's the holiday season, and you don't know what to get as a gift or a stocking stuffer. Well, today's sponsor, Manscaped, has the tools to guarantee you win this year's stocking stuffer or white elephant competition. Manscaped is the leader in men's below-the-waist grooming, and they have served more than 4 million men worldwide. If my math is correct, that's almost 8 million balls. So get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY. Manscaped's best-selling product is the Performance Package 4.0, which is at the top of every man's wish list this year. Inside, you'll find their Lawnmower Body Trimmer, the best trimmer on the market for your balls, your butt, and your body, and the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer. Let's not forget the famous liquid formulations, the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, and Crop Reviver Ball Toner to maximize your ball hygiene routine. Get the performance package now to receive their two free gifts, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. The dads can't stop talking about this. The teens secretly buy this, and the women will love you for it. Get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY. Be the ballsiest gift giver this year with Manscaped. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Welcome back, MD Nation, to the show. You are listening and or watching the MD's Fantasy Football Show, streaming to you live on social media at BillyUpMDFF Show. Make sure you check out our YouTube channel. Subscribe to that when you get the chance. Download us on your favorite pod streaming app and download us on the Amazon App Store to your Fire TV and Android devices. As always, I'm your host, Dan Meter. We're going over the Week 15 Sunday recap. We'll be back tomorrow like we normally are at 10 a.m., for the Sunday night recap, the doubleheader Monday night recap, and the waiver wire report. We can fit both those in because it'll be a late waiver wire report heading into your second round of playoffs. We're not going to wind up recapping the two Tuesday games. And keep in mind that you're, the platform you're on, there are a lot of platforms out there, whether it be Yahoo or ESPN, NFL, just, just check to see. A lot of them are not going to do waivers until Wednesday because you have two Tuesday night games, which is a good thing. Uh, but if anything were to happen in those games that we feel like you need to now pay attention to on the waiver wire for, we will tweet that out or whatever, post that out on social media at Billy up MDFF show. Just follow us along there. I got a couple more games I want to talk about for this show. And we'll wrap this thing up. The Detroit Lions and the Arizona Cardinals. If, this was, if there was one game that was the epitome to just summarize week 15 and the catastrophic headache that it was, especially as a fantasy expert. This was not a great week for us. <laughs> it wasn't because it was just every curveball opposite one eight turn that could possibly happen happened. And the Detroit Lions winning 30 to 12 over the Arizona Cardinals is probably the biggest way to emphasize and capture what week 15 was. 30 to 12. Detroit Lions. Unbelievable. Jared Goff, 21 of 26, and he had three touchdowns in this game, which, by the way, since then, though, has been placed on the COVID-19 list, and that's going to go into effect as far as what some of our analysis is coming out of this week. Because St. Brown, Amon Ross St. Brown, three weeks in a row now, has had double-digit targets. He's had two touchdowns in the past three weeks. He had eight catches and 90 yards to go with his score in this game. And he has become a must-play. 
especially in half-point and full-point PPR. He is one of the highest floors of any wide receiver right now, the way he's trending, and there's no end in sight because TJ Hawkinson is done for the season. We don't know if and or when DeAndre Swift will be back. Also takes away from that. But now, if Jared Goff is not going to be out there, and there's a, there's a chance he will be. This was early in the week. I believe Jared Goff is vaccinated, so he'll still have a chance to be back by the end of the week. But if it's not Jared Goff, the starting quarterback, now you have another guy who has been hot for fantasy purposes. One of the seldom things we get to say around here, especially after this week, who you may not be able to trust heading into next week. But let, let's say if Jared Goff's playing, Amon Ross St. Brown, dare I say, is a wide receiver too, with the usage he's been seeing, with double-digit targets the past three weeks in a row. And this is a pro game script. This was a pro game script for Detroit against Arizona, and he still had 11 targets. That's got to make you feel good. If he was somebody you're depending on. The other note, obviously, Craig Reynolds had a big day. 26 carries, 112 yards. I'll eat my words on that. I thought Jamar Jefferson would get a little bit more involved. However, I think the sun has now set on Craig Reynolds. Jamal Williams has been activated from COVID-19. He'll be back. There's a lot of talk that DeAndre Swift actually might try to make a return to the practice field this week. Uh, From an NFL standpoint... From a longevity standpoint, does it make any sense? Absolutely not. But this is what I talked about last week. When Chris was bringing up, you know, I think DeAndre Swift's a Joe Mixon situation where they'll say he's week to week and never play. Maybe that still winds up panning out. But the one caveat I gave is that because Dan Campbell is such a old school mentality, that's the only reason why I could see DeAndre Swift, if he's healthy enough, still making a return this season. Lo and behold, this week... What's different about this week than the other weeks of Dan Campbell being hopeful about DeAndre Swift's return? He actually said, we're going to work him out in practice this week and see how he feels. So they're expecting him to do something out there or to see something out there. Obviously, we'll keep you up to date throughout the week, but keep that in mind. And if DeAndre Swift plays, well, then DeAndre Swift's back in your lineup, regardless of what's going on in the quarterback situation. They're not going to play him and not give him the ball. There, there would be no point especially since you have Craig Reynolds who's had success and you're getting Jamal Williams back. You only bring you back Swift if your plan is to utilize Swift as your top offensive playmaker again. So just keep those things in mind. On the Cardinals side, obviously it was all bad. Who would have thought Kyler Murray wouldn't be able to get the job done against Detroit? I know they didn't have DeAndre Hopkins, but there's been plenty of times this year where they haven't had DeAndre Hopkins. And Kyler Murray still don't do his thing. The big thing that killed him or killed you for your fantasy football purposes, is that he didn't bother the run. Four attempts, and only wanted with three rushing yards. No touchdowns. All this fast-paced offense, and couldn't do it. Pretty much didn't play the fourth quarter, because Colt McCoy came in, and they just threw in the towel. 257 yards, a touchdown, and one interception. Now, Christian Kirk was a benefactor. He was somebody we were on. Without DeAndre Hopkins, Kirk is the number one receiver of the Arizona Cardinals more times than not. I know there's been weeks where A.J. Green's kind of taken that mantle as far as production goes at the end of the day, but Kirk is still mainly the guy. What also helped was that Rondale Moore wound up picking up an injury. And we we still have to wait to see what the MRI results on Rondale Moore are going to be before we have a clear idea of what his timeline is. But if he's out and Hopkins is out, Kirk's the guy you want to own, and A.J. Green even to some level has to be considered as a wide receiver for that maybe in a full-point PPR can be considered in your flex. Because this is still an offense that has a ton of volume because it's so up-tempo. 
So he has nine catches for 94 yards and a touchdown. Zach Ertz, obviously the other benefactor of that. 11 targets, six catches, 74 yards. Really could have had a bigger day in this one, but he's going to be a safe, high floor, top eight tight end the rest of the way with a Hopkins and a Rondell Moore out too. As far as the running back situation goes, look, Connor didn't find the end zone and Chase Edmonds was back. So he didn't get to have the RB1 usage that he has had the past few weeks against this match against Detroit. Edmonds was the better running back too. I mean, he had six carries, 53 yards. And it was clear, unfortunately, that they had absolutely no intention of allowing Chase Edmonds to have his regular workload his first week back. The reason why I say unfortunately is because he was actually looking pretty good out there. But it was just clear they weren't willing to unleash him. I suspect that'll be different next week, especially after losing this game. Now the number one seed is falling from their fingertips because Green Bay, the Green Bay Packers continue to win. You still have the Rams harping down their neck. I suspect Chase Edmonds will be more involved moving forward. Being Connor is going to go back to being a high-end RB3 who's a touchdown dependent. You want to make the argument low in RB2 because of how often he's been scoring touchdowns, fine. But he's still going to be a touchdown dependent running back nonetheless. Are you probably going to play him? Probably. Based on he's one of those guys that helped get you there. You know he has that upside? Probably. But I think Edmonds is back to we're ranking Edmonds with a higher floor than a James Conner on a week-to-week basis. I think we're back to that point. And now with all these weapons out like Rondell Moore and DeAndre Hopkins, there's a good chance Edmonds will be fairly involved in the passing game, giving him quite a bit of value too. Obviously, better days are ahead for the Arizona Cardinal offense. Let's talk about that Saturday night game between the New England Patriots and the Indianapolis Colts. I cannot believe the Colts win this game 27-17 to while Carson Wentz only threw the ball 12 times. I never thought that would be possible, that he could throw the ball that little and they could still win this game by 10 points. Jonathan Taylor, 29 rush attempts for 170 yards and a touchdown, obviously coming on the big 67-yarder at the end of the game to ice this thing. Bano, he was the one guy He's been the number one running back. He's been your big-time producer. And I felt like he was the one guy who actually came through for you like he's supposed to. <laughs> but nobody else did. Michael Pittman gets ejected from this game. So he only winds up with one catch for seven yards. Not that I think it would have mattered. Because, again, Wentz only threw the ball 12 times anyway. It was like the Colts watched that game between New England and Buffalo and decided, hey, you know what? We're going to do to New England... What they did to the Buffalo Bills. That, that's pretty much what it felt like. On the New England side of the ball, we had no Damian Harris. Wasn't able to be active for this game. So Ramondre Stevenson got the lead the way. Like, I think it's not like, oh, well, he's got Damian Harris role. It means carries and possibly for a touchdown. Running game has been pretty efficient. He only winds up with 10 carries, 36 yards in this game. Now they had to come back from behind. Mac Jones throwing the ball 45 times. Not the normal game script. And I would suspect with them playing Buffalo again next week, they will probably go back to that run-first mentality. I I would just guess that that would be the case. If Harris misses, 
I think you're still playing Ramondre Stevenson with confidence if he's going to have that volume share. He's still going to be a low in RB2. But we'll have to see because Harris was reportedly pretty close to being able to get this game. So I wouldn't be surprised if both are active next week against Buffalo. Hunter Henry, six catches, 77 yards, and two touchdowns on eight targets. He's a streaming tight end. We all know he's a touchdown-capable guy. He's been that touchdown tight end this whole year. This is not going to make me move my needle on Hunter Henry at all heading into next week, though. He's not going to suddenly be a bona fide top 10 tight end because of this performance. He's a streaming guy. He'll be in my top 16. If you need a guy who gets opportunity for a touchdown, that's who he is. But I'm not expecting this kind of a performance again for the rest of the year. This was his best performance. And it will be his best performance. That's going to do it for today's show, though. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. It was a little bit shorter today because obviously we didn't have many games to recap because everything got shuffled around. Make sure you're coming back again tomorrow night at or tomorrow morning, excuse me, at 10 a.m. For the Sunday night recap, two Monday night recaps, and the waiver wire report. Make sure you're downloading us on the Amazon App Store and your favorite pod streaming app. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on social media at BillyHipMDFF Show. I'm your host, Dan Maynard, and I'll see you guys again tomorrow. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.